Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode of the Grow My Revenue Business Cast, I'm joined by Marcus Sheridan. Now, Marcus is recognized around the planet as the foremost authority on content marketing. His story has been told on the front page of the New York Times. He's one of the most sought after speakers on the planet about how you attract the right customers to your site. We're gonna talk about what content you can create that instantly builds trust from your ideal clients. What are the five topics you should address to be seen as the greatest expert in your space? What do customers really care about when they visit your website? And how to create a culture that tightly aligns your sales and marketing to drive business growth beyond what you can possibly imagine. I've seen Marcus deliver this stuff firsthand. It's really remarkable. So put on your seatbelts. You're gonna learn a lot from Marcus Sheridan. So my good friend, Marcus Sheridan, welcome to the show, man. Yo, buddy. It's, uh, it's like uh, two peas in a pod tonight. So let's, let's make this happen, see if we can bring a little value to your vast audience. It's you a know, pleasure, bud. I, I, am just, I am just so excited because I mean, most people probably know that Marcus and I speak at a lot of events together. And I will tell you that we joke that we could probably each give each other's talk in many respects and every time I'm in the audience and Marcus is speaking, I learn something new. And so I know that everyone's just going to get a ton of information. And today we're really talking about this whole concept of content marketing. So let's just start with that. How do you define content marketing? Well, I don't really define it, Ian, like a lot of, I would say, maybe the definitions you would read online. And there's certainly nothing wrong with those. But I think the biggest problem with content marketing is is we have a buy-in issue. And I think part of the buy-in issue comes back to the way it's defined. And so this is how I define content marketing. And I define it this way because I think it's, I think it's a, a definition that allows an entire organization, specifically the sales department, to wrap their arms around it. And it goes like this. Content marketing is your company's ability to be the best and most helpful teacher in the world at what you do. That's really it. Now, it happens to be a digital, mainly a digitally speaking helpfulness, but uh, it's about teaching and about, it's about helpfulness and about solving problems. And if that's the way you view content marketing, generally, you can be a lot more successful. Well, and, and the, the beauty of you defining it that way is that no longer is it this notion of how do I persuade? How do I cajole? How do I trick? How do I spam? Because guess what? None of those things have to do with being the best teacher in your space. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You know, we've got, we've all got this incredible, you know, for lack of a better phrase, BS meter online and off, right? And it's like, you know, you go somewhere, you sense right away if this person or organization has your best interests at heart or if they really don't care. And, um, you know, to me, you know, people all the time say, well, how should I word this? Or how do I say it? And it's like, the only goal is that by the time the person has watched that video or read that article, that they're able to nod their head and say, oh, okay, I get it. And if you can, if, if they say that, you've done something really incredible. I mean, that is the definition, the essence of great content. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. You, you and I talk about this a lot where I, I always laugh. 
when we're, when we're speaking or if I'm speaking someplace and someone says, so, so what if you ask all these questions and it turns out that the client isn't a good fit? Now what do we do? And I always say, well, that's when we wish them good luck and we realize it's not a good fit. Like, and, and on the content side, you teach very much the same principle in terms of being unbiased. So give me examples of how maybe people typically use content and then instead what it should sound like to come across as unbiased. So I'll use a really simple example, the one that a lot of people know me for. And I'm, and I'm glad you asked this question because you and I align so very much. Because, you know, when you teach your, your sales um, seminars, you, you, you help people for the first time in their, oftentimes, for the first time in their professional lives, to come right out and say that they're not a good fit for sometimes, say, over 50% of the people that come in contact with their particular organization, which makes everybody in the room at first raise their eyebrow, right? And then when you go on to explain how this works, it's actually quite powerful because it's the first time they're being really, really honest. And so it's the same thing with anything that we sell, whether it's a product, a service, a B2B, a B2C, it doesn't matter. But let's say we're doing something like a fiberglass pool, which is where I kind of grew up and and, um, cut my teeth in the business world. Well, you know, I was selling fiberglass pools for, for many years, and uh, our biggest competition was concrete pools. And so, you know, what a lot of times companies would do is they would just come right out if they're, they would generally sell one or the other, Ian, and so they would just say the bad things about the other and why their stuff is so great. And they never would say the cons of their own products. And this is true across the board for most, for most products and services. I mean, like I said, it doesn't really matter. And so, so hypothetically, if you want to do this the right way, to make it sound the right way. Let's say I was writing an article or producing a video, it doesn't matter, that was talking about the difference between a concrete and a fiberglass pool. Well, this is how it would sound. It would sound something like this. You know, um, every year here at River Pools, we talk with hundreds and hundreds of people that are looking and comparing the different types of in-ground pools. And one of the first questions that they have is, should I go concrete or should I go fiberglass? And they ask us this question a lot. And uh, to be frank, at River Pools, we don't offer concrete. We only offer fiberglass, but we understand that fiberglass might not be the best fit for you. In fact, concrete just may be the better option. What this article is going to do, it's going to explain the pros and the cons of each type of pool. And then by the end, you'll be able to decide which is the best choice for you. And of course, Ian, we could do that example like with anything in the world, but the idea is that we disarm them as you teach so well in your seminars, that we immediately have them lean in and say, really? It might not be for me? Hmm, why? Now we've actually got them listening and starting to trust us, and then we give them honest, um, essentially, assessments so that they can either self-qualify or they can move out of that funnel. I love the way you describe it because what it, what it has to have everybody thinking is this. Look, if you go to someone's website and there's a thousand pages, let's say, on their website, and you and I both know that most websites don't have enough content, but <laughs> if, there's, if there's, you know, it doesn't matter how many pages are on there, all you have to read is one page that is biased, and what do you do with the rest? You just assume sure. the rest is all garbage, too. Oh, it's, it's immediate. We've all got that, that sniff test, and it's fast, Ian. I mean, it's like literally within the first 10 or 15 seconds of being on a website. We sense, whether we've realized this or not, we sense whether... We they are relating to us, or it's or it's all about them. Whether they're there to solve our problems, or they just want to talk about how awesome they are. Yeah, and 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 the funny part is that your clients, when they come to your website, and I, I don't want to see your thunder because I want you to describe this. 
So share with people the way they should think of their websites. What's the purpose of the homepage of someone's website? Yeah, I mean, you've heard me talk about this a lot, but the question that we love to ask audiences, so when you go to a website, are you more concerned about you, your questions, your issues, your problems, and your needs, or are you more concerned about the company that you're visiting? Of course, the answer, if anybody's being honest with themselves, is they're concerned about themselves, their problems, their questions, their needs. Notwithstanding, 99% of all websites, and certainly 99% of all homepages, pretty much just talk about the company, what they do, why they're awesome, why everybody should love them. The reality is, if you look at a homepage, it should immediately allow the visitor to say, ah, yes, I have that problem, they solve it, or, well, looks like they don't solve the problem that I have. And then the entire purpose of the homepage of your website is not to give them, or just to be frank, to vomit a bunch of information all over them, which is what a lot of companies are still doing. They think they're supposed to have, you know, essentially an essay on the homepage. The whole purpose of the homepage of your website, other than problem identification, is to get them to page two. Now, page two might be them taking an action, like calling you, but it's not until page two that we know anything, Ian, because if somebody comes to your website and they spend 20 minutes on your homepage, we don't know anything. They could have been, they could have gone to the bathroom. We have no idea what was being accomplished during that 20 minutes. But once they start to go to the second page, the third page, now we have breadcrumbs. Now we're going to start to see their, their patterns, what, they, what they're interested in, what they care about. There's all these buying signals. It's very, very powerful. But it happens because of that obsession on the homepage of saying, okay, what are the problems? What do they want right now? Let's make sure we give it to them. And then once they make that first click, then we start to teach them. Uh, you know, and, and I, I always love the professional service firms that put on their homepage, we're a full service company, which jokingly, like everyone else is advertising, they're a partial service company, right? <laughs> like their competitors say, oh, we, we're only like half. But these other guys are full service. When you talk about this whole elevator um, rant that people do and, and the way that businesses can quickly allow someone to say, wow, that's very interesting. It's this, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with homepages, right? It's the same thing where we can immediately cut to the chase and say exactly what the problems we solve. And it allows people to say, wow, this is exactly what I came for. It's, 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 but, but you just don't see it very much, man. You don't see it at all. And and that's why most companies, once they really start to say, okay, what would I want in this situation? And they look at the golden rule and they say, okay, what I want to be, what I want to experience this as a user, oftentimes they'll completely revamp their communication style or that, or that headline statement that they make that has to do with solving their problems. And, and one more point about that, like you just said, if anybody in the world could say the headline statement on your homepage for their business, it's probably not right, right? So like you said, if your headline says, because we care, well, then I can say that and every business in the entire world can say that. If, if you say um, progressive, forward-thinking, customer service-oriented, anybody could say that in the whole world and everybody would claim that. Nobody says, we're not forward-thinking, we don't really care about our customers, but just give us your money. I mean, nobody has ever said that. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, in this communication style, is this something that is truly specific to us or, once again, could anybody in the world say this very thing? 
Yep. Now, and, and, and I think that that's something that people need to really internalize because if, you, if you're honest and you read your homepage and you think, okay, if I didn't know it was my site, would anyone know? I mean, one of the things I've seen you do in the past is pull the main headline off of different people's websites and then like throw them on a wall and tell people to pick their own. And people have no idea which one's theirs because they all basically say the same thing. And like, it's just, it's, it's funny to see. Now, I, I know that when we talk about content marketing, one of the big advantages is that it actually not only can Digital Davids compete against Goliaths, but actually the small companies may have an advantage. So can you talk a little bit about how that works? Well, I think they have an extreme advantage. And and um, because the reality is the bigger the company, just like the Goliaths, they're slower moving, the more red tape. You know, if they want to produce a video or, or write a, a blog article, it's got to go through some board of, of approval and then it's got to go through the lawyers. And nothing ever great happens when you have all those obstacles in place. But when you've got a really nimble mindset and culture and you just say, look, we're going to teach this. We're already answering these questions every day with our sales department. Uh, then you could do some then you could do some great things. And, you know, that lends itself into, you know, that's why sales teams should be incredibly engaged in this content marketing process because, yeah, I mean, they're the ones that are hearing the questions every single day. They're the ones that, are, that, that truly, truly hear the way the prospect and the customer states their problems. And what's crazy and sad too, Ian, is when you have these marketing departments out there that are producing content, eBooks, white papers, blog articles, videos, sales teams look at them and say, you know, okay, that's nice, but I only deal with that 1% of the time. The rest of my 99% is dealing with this, right? And so that's why sales teams, and if you really look at it too, sales teams are the ones that generally have the best answers to these questions, needs, issues, worries, concerns, et cetera, by prospects and customers. The most successful salespeople today they're integrating content marketing into their sales process. They're participating in it. They're meeting on a consistent basis with the marketing department. And they're not trying to be Victor Hugo, Ian, but they are saying, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this information that's in my head on that digital screen so that instead of that first time of me actually meeting or the, the prospect meeting me being at the, in the, you know, whatever the sales appointment, whatever that, that moment is for you as a salesperson. Instead, it's when they saw you on that video on the website, when they read that article of yours on the website and they said, Hmm, maybe I should talk to this guy or this gal because they obviously know what they're talking about. They're obviously a subject matter expert. I mean, the fact is if you're a salesperson, and you're not meeting your prospects until you shake their hand, and they're not meeting you until they shake your hand, that's a problem. Yeah, you're at a supreme disadvantage. I mean, I, I, supreme. I wrote an article not too long ago that talked about three different personas in sales, and one was your, your traditional salesperson who thinks their job is to convince everybody that they need their stuff. You've got the order taker who waits for people to call them and say, hey, I want five of these, and they ship out five. And then you have the subject matter expert, and people scratch their head and say, well, which, which one do I have on my team? And then I say to them, well, it doesn't really matter what you think. If you're the customer, which one do you want? And the answer is always the subject matter expert. Great. Then then the rest don't matter. So you have to become that subject matter expert. And 
content is a great way to do that. And, and you've demonstrated that over and over again. And I know there are like five key things that you say if a company is creating content, these are like the big five things that you should write about or, or do videos about that are game changers. And I know a lot of it's kind of controversial. So let's kind of walk through those. And then we can we can you know build the straw man and why people don't think it works, and then explain how it does. Yeah, well, there's there's basically there's five subjects that move the economy right now. Uh, regardless of what somebody's going to buy, they the consumer they are researching these five things. And those five things. Wait, and before I say this, what's fascinating is consumers obsess over these, and businesses treat them like the plague, and they stay dramatically away from them. And so we have this fascinating paradox, especially when it comes to the digital side. And these five subjects are cost questions. They are problems or issues-based questions. They're comparisons slash versus questions. They're review-based questions and they're best of questions or best questions. And so let me give you an example. Again, I'll just use fiberglass pools and you could use this. We use this with our clients with everything in the world. And keep in mind, 70% of our clients are, are B2B service-based businesses, okay? So I'm just giving a simple example here. So it would be, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? What are the potential problems with the fiberglass pool? Fiberglass versus concrete pools, which is better? Reviews of the best fiberglass pool builders in Virginia. And um, who are the um, best uh, large fiberglass pool manufacturers, right? So those are all examples of things that somebody might search online. So let me just kind of, let me just kind of recap them for people. So yep. we, have, we have cost... Yep. We have the problems or challenges associated with, with whatever it is that you're offering or selling. Yep. The comparison between you and somebody else or alternatives. Or or just or the comparisons, comparison-based questions in general. Anytime anybody says, so which would you choose? That's a sign that it's a versus or comparison-based question. Yeah. So, so it, could, it could even be comparing two of your own products. Oh, well, yes, very much so. When would I use yep. product X versus Y? And then best of, who are the best fill in the blank, yep. in our space. Now, of course, Marcus, we know that everybody cringes because the cost issue. And what are some of the reasons that people tell you, well, they can't possibly, under any circumstance, talk about price on their website? Yeah, what's funny is is this is like the the ultimate hypocritical behavior of businesses right now. Because if you or I go online and we are researching how much something costs on a website, and we can't find it relatively quickly, we don't keep digging on that website. We don't call that company and make excuses for them. We just keep searching, and we search until we find the answer. And whoever gives us the answer, usually they're going to get the first phone call, and oftentimes they're going to get the sale. That is reality. That is how it works all over the world. That's the behavior for each and every one of us. That's what we've learned online, notwithstanding that's not the way that we treat our own customers. What we say is we use three excuses as to why we as businesses, especially professional service B2B-based businesses, why we can't do it. And the reasons are, number one, oh, I'm afraid my competition is going to see my pricing, which is funny because usually we already know what that competition is, is, is charging. The, um, the second reason is we say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to scare people away. But like we've already established, if we're being honest with ourselves, what actually scares people away is not addressing the thing. And then the third reason is, well, you see, our prices vary each and every time. We never have the exact same quote. Well, Because it depends. Because it depends. That's exactly right. The magic, magic two words, it depends. And, and what's crazy is, you know, when I... 
I embrace this philosophy and our core philosophy for content marketing with my swing pool company that went from zero to hero, which went from 2,000 visitors a month to half a million visitors a month. And today is the most traffic swing pool website in the world. And we've done this over and over again with other companies, the majority of which are B2B. And our philosophy is always they ask you answer. And we always say, if anybody's ever asked us a question, we're going to be willing to address it. That's the essence of content marketing for us. We start with the big five. And for 90% of our clients, for our customers, the number one traffic lead and sales generating content has to do with cost and price. But here's the thing that people don't understand. I'm not telling you that you should put a price list on a website. That's not... What, that's not the point. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is this. You cannot ignore the questions your prospects are asking and expect to earn their trust, earn their phone call, earn that lead form filled out on the website. It doesn't work that way. Instead, you've got to be willing to say, is it possible to address this subject? And, and Marcus, let me interrupt for a second, because that notion of is it possible to address the question is a key thing for people. And I will tell you that Marcus and I have known each other for a number of years. Marcus said to me several years ago, Ian, you need to write an article entitled, How Much Does Sales Training Cost? I said, yeah, you know, but my business is different, Marcus. Yeah, I'm special. So we wouldn't talk about that. And then over time, eventually, I came around to it and I wrote the article. And now if you do a search, how much does sales training cost? It's one of the first articles that will come up online. And in that article, what I do is I explain the various factors that go into the overall cost of conducting sales training for an organization. And in fact, included in that article, I say the range of what you will pay for someone to facilitate that training goes from, I forget what I put in there, from $5,000 to $40,000. And I said in the article, and I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and it's in, it indexes through the roof in terms of search performance, and I don't pay a dime for that. And that article points to me all day long. And, of course, it took years for you to convince me to, to write that article. I think it was the third time you used a, a rubber mallet on my head. I was like, all right, he's going to start going to something a little bit heavier duty. So I better write the article before he brings out something that's metallic. I hear you, brother. Because, I mean, this is, this is what we all have to understand. And it's so critical. And that is this. Consumer ignorance is no longer a viable sales and marketing strategy. If we're depending on the idea that they're not going to find out the answer to the question somewhere else, that they're not going to learn about the other thing, option, method, the other competitor, if we think that is our means by which we might earn a sale, we have a serious, serious fundamental flaw with our business. We've got to embrace the idea that they are going to find out the answer. <laughs> and, and they can either they are, find out from us or from someone that's else. It. That is the choice. And the cool thing is, though, Ian, we can actually make that choice. You can make it and I can make it. And I say, why not it be us? Why not control that conversation? That's the essence of content marketing. Yeah, and it's it's funny. You and I you and I often talk about this concept that people want to hold back their best information, and you can give away almost everything, and it works out. So, two last things that are, that I want to cover. One is this notion, and I'm just giving it to you in advance, so you can handle them however you like. One is how do companies figure out which content they should create first? How do they come up with a list of the questions they should be answering, and then what makes it so that these companies successfully can build this culture. If they say, look, I'm bought in, I'm going to be the best teacher in my space. How do you make that happen? Because a lot of organizations will say they're going to do it and it doesn't happen. 
Yeah, so good questions, Ian. I mean, the, the quick answer is this. You should take everybody in your organization that is customer prospect facing and simply say, what are the questions that you're getting every single day? And if you do a brainstorm with your organization, I don't care how big you are, you're never going to come up with less than 100 questions in 30 minutes if you're giving this any effort whatsoever. And you really should start with those big five, those cost-based questions, those comparison-based questions. That's where you should start. That is the essence of your editorial calendar and your initial strategy. Now, the thing about this is, Ian, as you suggested, is it's not necessarily easy to do. A couple things have to happen. Number one, there has to be buy-in from the top to the bottom. There can't be resistance. You know, if the sales manager is resisting, this and that's happening, we're going to have a problem. There's got to be buy-in. And who would argue with the idea of let's become a better teacher? Let's help solve these problems better for our prospects and customers. And if anybody does argue that, I would argue, Ian, that they're not a good philosophical fit for you know, a, 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 a business in the 21st century. Yeah, and, and if you're if you're working for that company, you may want to consider going someplace else. If 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 you're working for somebody that says, "No, nah, we don't want to be the best teacher in our space," move on because you're going to be obsolete in a matter of time. That is exactly right. You know, everybody thinks that you know they're the they're the secret sauce, the Colonel Sanders of their space. That's just simply, you know. For 99.9% of what you do, that is not the case. The other thing that you have to do is you've really got to have somebody in the organization that owns this content production process. We call this person a content manager, but but you know they're the ones that sits down with the sales professionals and says, okay, let's do a let's do an interview on camera. Let's let me record a you know an interview conversation with you. Hey, shoot me those bullet points and I'll turn it into an article, right? Because we want salespeople to be able to communicate. Um, in their easiest form when they're contributing content, right? And so everybody's different. That's essential, but that's why you have to have a content manager that helps do that, helps manage it. And you know, the final point, Ian, and this isn't necessarily music to your listeners' ears, but it's reality, and that is it has to be required. It has to be religion. It has to be something that no matter what you do, and what that means for a salesperson would be something like you have to spend at least one hour a month with that content manager or somebody in marketing helping produce content via text, video, audio, whatever. That is key. Yeah, you can't just complain that you don't have it. You have to play an active role in creating stuff that's actually valuable. You're, you're exactly right. And you know what's funny, Ian, is the companies that have done this for any period of time, they laugh about it because they realize its value. The companies that say that are just getting started that are saying, uh, you know, they say things like, I'm not sure we have the time. And of course, you know, if somebody says they don't have the time, what they're really saying is we don't yet get it. We don't value the thing. And uh, once they've been doing it for any period of time and they start to see the results, then the whole we don't have the time becomes laughable because they get that ROI. And Marcus, one last thing I, I want you to share is Marcus and I gave a, gave a workshop at Content Marketing World recently. And there was, a, there was a gentleman in our workshop who Marcus was sharing statistics from a recent, recent client, actually kind of a mutual client of ours, on what just by taking this approach of we want to become the best teacher they ask, you answer, we're going to address the big five. Share what the results were for that client in terms of what their traffic was like on their website before versus after and what sort of growth these people have seen. When somebody does they ask, you answer the right way and really embraces content the right way, and, and by the way, the definition of that in my mind, Ian, for most companies, because somebody's thinking, well, what, how much is that? Well, the answer is we have found that the minimum that, that you should be producing if you want to be world-class with your organization is two to three pieces a week. All right, That's the minimum that you should be producing. 
But when companies do that, they do it the right consistency, persistency, and the right style of content that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's unbiased. Not un- yeah, unbiased, all that stuff. It's not uncommon to see growth like in the course of one year go from 2,000 to 50,000 visitors a month, 5,000 to 100,000 visitors a month on average. We've seen that many, many times, Ian. It sounds crazy, but that's the truth. That's reality. We have the analytics to show it. And there's other people that'll do it and they're like, oh, you know, I've only gotten like, you know, a one, two percent increase, but they're really not doing it. You know, doing two or three pieces of content a month and doing it shoddy at best at that, that doesn't really count. And I don't, you know, that's not a true representation of, of what doing content marketing right is all about. Well, Marcus, you know what? You've shared so much great information that can really change people's lives if they internalize this stuff and apply it. Uh, You know, I've had the good fortune of seeing the impact of your work firsthand in businesses, and it's nothing short of remarkable. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? And obviously, all the stuff we're going to have in the show notes, and I'm going to give people links to everything in the world, including Marcus got this this amazing podcast, the Mad Marketing Podcast. There's another one called the Hubcast that's for analytics, so you actually can measure the ROI of your content marketing. But what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly come by the sales, this sales, lion, L-I-O-N, dot com. If you make a mistake and type in the sales line, L-I-N-E, it'll bring you there, though, because I bought that URL as well, because... People would hear that and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I hit it. Oh, and it brought me to the sales line. I realized I typed it in wrong. So that's the best place to find me. You'll find me at, at the sales line on the Twitters and, uh, you know, Periscope there as well and uh, all over the place. And uh, certainly Mad Marketing, like you said, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. Ian, it's been a tremendous pleasure to be with you. And I think you're one of the best in the world at what you do. And it's, I'm thrilled to be with your audience. Thank you. Thanks, man. You know what? I appreciate it. And everyone out there, if you see Marcus speaking at an event and you're trying to decide, well, should I go to Marcus's session or something else? I'm just telling you right now, if I'm there and Marcus is there and we're speaking against each other, go see Marcus because <laughs> it's really a treat. Thanks. Thanks for being on, Marcus. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Man, Marcus packed so much great information into that interview. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I feel are the biggest things you should take away and apply to your business right away. First, become the best teacher in your space. The way Marcus defines content marketing is become the best teacher about how to do what it is that you offer. Second, in terms of topics that you want to cover, create content around costs, problems, comparisons, reviews, and best of. Those are the ones that move the needle and attract people to your space. And finally, if you're trying to create a culture that aligns your sales and marketing, involve your salespeople in the content creation space. It's not just a matter of complaining you don't have it. They need to actually be involved, and you'll have better content and better results. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your time with me. So, If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show, or there's a topic you'd love for me to cover, please let me know. You can email me personally at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. 
Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.